If you were to strip out what's probably 50% of the people, I would imagine in a normal year, aside from those crazy 21, 22s, in a normal year, probably less than 1% of all these transactions is anyone quote unquote considered to be a flipper or speculator. Welcome to The Flow, real estate and money show. A show focused on helping Canadians understand the different elements of real estate, mortgage, and finance. The goal of our show is to provide Canadians with the tools, information, and knowledge to have more success when it comes to their investing and real estate-related decisions going forward. My name is Alex McFadden, and I'm your host. I can't wait to get you into the flow. Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We have exciting news for you today. As always, our government has decided to add new changes and bring in new taxes in light of what's been going on in the real estate market in British Columbia for the better part of the last number of years. Well, chances are probably very good that most of these potential changes won't have a massive immediate impact, but the short-term to mid-term impacts can be probably pretty profound. So we're going to break down to you specifically what was announced today in BC's 2024 budget, the initial impacts, what we're expecting it could look like, and what we're expecting could happen. And more importantly, perhaps some of the things that might actually happen because of it or result of it or just basically kind of suggestions as to what could happen long term or midterm. But let's get right into it. So BC government announcement, David Eby put his foot down today and he came up with a variety of different announcements, some which we're not going to get into because today we're going to focus specifically on the ones that impact most of our listeners. The first one, which is the one that he talked about last June. When he talked about his potential budget, the first one was the anti-flipping tax, which was recently just announced. And the second big one was the property transfer tax exemption, followed by a property transfer tax extension, if you will, for new built properties. So one was for first time buyers and one was for new built properties. Now, let's break down specifically what these things are before we get into our diagnosis of what exactly could happen and more specifically, some of the backstories on it. So let's just start off with the property transfer tax. So in BC, we've had a property transfer tax since 1987, which was originally actually brought in initially to curb or I guess tax the more wealthy people to try and keep house prices more reasonable, if you will. But it was left in place and it no longer necessarily has its intended effect. It hasn't even been looked at up until now since 1987. So it was Beyond time for a massive overhaul, I think we can all agree on that. And I think to start off with here, it's a good, good change and a good decision that David Eby made, made to bring this in and one that's been longstanding. And I know for a fact, most of the, uh, the boards in Vancouver, the real estate boards, and even many people that you'll talk to have been yelling and screaming for the top of the lungs for years to change the, the limits in regards to exemptions here. So specifically what we're referring to is that the new tax is going to be exempt for people who are purchasing properties up to $835,000 on the first $500,000. Now, sorry, this is not a new tax. This is the same tax, but the new change is that if you're a first-time buyer and you're purchasing a property in BC and you qualify, which we'll talk about who qualifies in a minute here, right up until now, well, still today, if you close on a property, you have to pay property transfer tax on anything. If you purchase a property at $550,575, you have to pay the entire transfer tax. And on $600,000, that works out to 10 grand. So that's pretty significant. Whereas after April 1st of 2024, you're no longer having to pay that entire transfer tax. How it's going to work is that that first 500,000, which basically it calculates to eight grand, that first $500,000 
is now going to be exempt as long as you're purchasing a property at $835,000 or less. Now, as a quick reminder, property transfer tax is calculated as 1% of the first 200 grand and 2% for an amount above that. Now, there is an additional property transfer tax for properties purchased over $3 million. But for today's conversation, it's just that initial amount that is important here. So to summarize, if you're looking at a, a specific amount before the change, if you're purchasing property up to $835,000, you could be looking at paying over $14,000 of transfer taxes. Now, after April 1st, if you close your property that date or later, you will no longer have to pay all of it. You're going to get $8,000 exemption as long as you qualify for that transfer tax, which means you're going to pay just over $6,000 in transfer taxes. Now, that's a massive move and one that is very welcome. And I know we all wish that that number was closer to a million dollars because of property values having risen over the course of the last number of years. But at the end of the day, we will take what we have uh, been given in this regard. And I think that it's, yeah, it's it's something that's going to be well received. Now, a couple other key points on that before we get into a diagnosis of this and a breakdown as to who this is going to impact and what it could do on the marketplace. The first thing is that there is a sliding scale element like we had before. So even if you purchase property over 835, if you purchase it 835 to $860,000, there is a sliding scale, which basically indicates that if you purchase a property at those price points, you'll still get a percentage given back to you in an exemption. So 100% exemption at 835, 0% exemption at 860. So you can look at it as a sliding scale to reduce that amount. I, I don't know how they got to this 835 and 860 number. Specifically, again, as I mentioned, we see, we saw the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver suggest $750,000 last year. We've seen others suggest a million dollars in the past. But at the end of the day, it seems a lot more reasonable. If we think about property values in British Columbia, more specifically, we're talking about the lower mainland, which is obviously where there's most people are purchasing real estate at least it's concentrated in the province, you know, you can barely get, well, you can't get anything in Vancouver for $500,000 left or less. You can barely get a one bedroom in places like Langley for $500,000. And in order to get like a two bedroom unit or a condo, you pretty much have to go to Abbotsford or Chilliwack or something of that nature in order to get one of these properties. And that just doesn't suit most people these days, especially with the way that interest rates are and where they're at and the qualification capabilities. And we just keep in mind the fact that in most situations, you need two people's incomes to qualify for that $500,000 purchase price because the actual income required is over $100,000 if you're putting down, let's say, 5% on that property. So without getting too deeply in that one piece, we do think this is a good change and very welcome news. And I think for the most part, the impact on the marketplace and the feedback that I've received from virtually everyone, specifically in the real estate industry and the clients who have reached out to me who have been pre-approved and or have recently purchased properties is all really positive. We all agree that this is going to be a good change. Now, the second transfer tax exemption change is actually for new build properties. If you don't know this already, if you're purchasing a new brand new property, in British Columbia, you are exempt from property transfer tax up to $750,000 with a sliding scale up beyond that to $750,000 right now. But again, same thing after April 1st, your uh, new exemption is going to be up to $1.1 million for that full exemption. And this really changes the game as far as new development properties. And I, I believe obviously the plan here, the goal from the, the BC government is to try and get more people to purchase more new real estate. And so they're not completely de-incentivizing de uh, developers to purchase pro or sell properties because we have to remember that when you're buying brand new real estate, you also have that lovely 5% GST that goes along with that. So if you're purchasing a home right now at a million dollars, not only are you going to pay 
uh, upwards of sixteen to $18,000 $18, of transfer taxes, you're going to pay additional 50000 of GST. I mean, that's a pretty substantial amount of money that you're putting into that home in closing costs day one that you're not going to get back for a number of years on any piece of real estate. Now, a couple of things to keep in mind when it comes to these transfer taxes. This is for actually people who are, are living in the properties. Now, so again, they're not trying to incentivize people to buy investments or rentals or anything of that nature. So if you're buying a rental property, investment property, you still actually have to pay these transfer taxes. And the other thing is the same rules as before still apply for the transfer taxes. You must have lived in BC for 12 months or filed taxes the year before. You got to be a permanent resident. If you're not a permanent resident yet, you can apply for a rebate up to 18 months afterwards. And that's, you know, these are really important pieces of information and key pieces of information information because otherwise you would see a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of fear or concern. There's people coming to our country and buying these properties and taking advantage of it and they're not paying the taxes. And well, that's just simply not the case. They don't qualify for these tax exemptions. Now, what I think about this, if I'm looking at this from a broad perspective and looking at the potential changes on the, on the surface level, to me, this is a no-brainer and easy win. And obviously we're talking politics here. So it's a quick, hey, I did something big that no one else did kind of rallying cry that that they're going to use. And they're probably going to get people who are are really happy about that, especially if you're a first-time buyer and you're saving $8,000. I mean, that's a pretty significant consideration right off the bat. But you know, at the end of the day, this is something that was widely considered very, very, very important to the real estate community and specifically another barrier to get rid of when it's already as expensive as it is for people to buy real estate in BC. Now, a couple thoughts on what this could do as short term and midterm, in my opinion, from a housing price perspective, we typically found and we have found historically that a lot of people decide to buy real estate, first time buyers, they decide to try and buy real estate that's under $500,000 specifically to try and save that transfer tax. And so funny enough, what that did is it either drove house prices you know, that were say 450 up to that 500 mark. So it would actually kind of push those prices up in some situations. And, and what it would also do is it would almost pull down certain price points to kind of hit that $500,000 number. And so those anything under $500,000 would, would go really quickly. So, you know, with that in mind, I guess the big question mark that I have here is, A, does this increase value of properties in and around that $500,000 threshold or or perhaps even do the opposite? And, and, devalue it a little bit as first-time buyers suggest, okay, well, maybe I'm going to start to look up to if they qualify for it, of course, seven, seven fifty, eight hundred. And and then in fact, does this put a lot more impact on those smaller townhomes, those larger condos, those two beds, the three beds? Because that my theory is that's what likely will happen here is is I think that slight change will get people to kind of jump off and say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to jump into that two bedroom realm or or two and den or or depending on if you're out in you know, Chilliwack or something, maybe even a three bed, maybe even a house for that matter, and really puts a lot of upward pressure on anything priced around that $800,000 mark. So unsurprisingly, I think in the next uh, couple of months, we'll probably see more multiple offers simply for this reason alone, because not a lot of people are really thinking about it, but the ones that are, are going to want to take advantage of that virtually right away. So that would be a big question of mine. And I'd love to hear feedback from people on what they think that is going to happen here from that perspective. Now, the new development one, in, in my opinion, again, welcome news. I, I don't know how we how they got from the 750 to 1.1 from that perspective. I, I look at this and say, why didn't they just do everything a million dollars across the board? Obviously, it's welcome that it's a higher amount from that standpoint. But, you know, Obviously, they're trying to incentivize anyone and everyone to purchase new bills because the biggest thing about that is that you don't necessarily have to be a first-time buyer to take advantage of that. 
you could be any buyer to actually take advantage of that uh, new development program. Now, getting into the more juicy stuff here, we touched off right in the beginning about the fact that there is a huge change as it pertains to this quote unquote anti flipping tax. And this one's a juicy one. And there's, there's just, there's so many different ways to look at this potential tax and, and how it's going to impact the market and what that looks like. And, and more importantly, what are some of the long term side effects? You see, to me, like the first one makes a lot of sense. You are, doing something that has been begged upon for virtually anybody that is in real estate or looking to buy real estate for the better part of the last you know, 30, 40 years at this point right now. And it's a no-brainer, easy win. This second one to me is just a massive consider, like it's, it's just political maneuvering. And I think that the thing is, you know, ultimately without getting into too much politics and, and so forth here, you know, if you think about it from a long shot perspective, I mean, David Eby is trying to just get reelected. Anybody who is quote unquote pro housing and or, you know, kind of thinking everybody should own a home, home value should be devalued, this type of thing. You know, these types of people are going to see this as a huge win. And I think there's a lot of people out that way who think that way, not myself, obviously, but there's this huge subtext or subcategory of, of, if you will, people who have those feelings and or out of touch because they haven't owned or bought a home for the better part of you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And so they have no idea what's going on out there. And all the hears on the news is that flippers and speculators are ruining real estate. But here's here's a couple things you need to know. I mean, first and foremost, this legislation, how it works is that if you purchase a property and you resell it anytime within two years after January 1st, 2025, with, with even if you purchased the property before, beforehand, so it's not even retro, it's fully retroactive. I mean, you, you, anybody who purchased a piece of real estate now after that is going to get taxed at 20%. And then from 20%, it goes on a sliding scale from year one to year two, uh, long-term. I look at this as my, my thoughts on this is, did they really think about the potential long-term ramifications of what this could mean for not only the small subgroup of people who sell homes within two years, and I was trying to find some stats on that. I found a few, but it, the numbers are something like 4% of people sell their home or, or, or uh, purchases are sold within two years. And that number has gone down steadily since you know 2021. But the highest we've seen it in the last 30 or 40 years was in 2007. And since then, it's not very common. I mean, look, let's think about this for a second. How many house flippers do you see on HGTV or any of these channels that are out there? How many of these guys do you actually see who are flipping these homes are saying, okay, let's buy this and hold on to it for one or two years before we get rid of it? No, they're in there. They're talking about let's get in and out in 60, 90, 120, 190 days, this sort of thing. They're not looking to hang on to these properties for a long period of time. So the two-year timeline, again, to me is just it's just political garbage at the end of the day, and it's not going to have any positive impact. I thought about this, and I was looking through, and from an anecdotal standpoint, trying to see clients of mine who purchased real estate with the intentions of selling within two years who actually did it. Because we did see some people who bought, you know, in 2019 when property values dipped quite a bit, and then 2020 COVID hit, and they just watched their prices go up 2021, and they, they said, you know what, I'm going to sell off this condo that I bought for 300 grand for 500 and move my family up to a house or a townhouse or out to the interior. It, you know, I just made 150 or 200,000 or $300,000. I mean, this common, common thing that happened in 2021, in 2022, for that matter. And can you blame people from saying that was the case? So now you're going to say, no, you, you can't do that unless you're, you're, someone died 
or there's divorce involved or some other very substantial life, significant life altering decision. You know, I mean, ultimately, does that make them flippers or speculators or anything of that nature? No, I would say not. And so if you if you were to strip out what's probably 50% of the people, I would imagine in a normal year, aside from those crazy 21, 22s, in a normal year, I would imagine that it's probably less than 1% of all these transactions is anyone quote unquote considered to be a flipper or speculator. There's a very small crowd of people and there's going to be a ton of people who get caught up in this. You know, some things to think about is if are, are people going to hang on to their real estate from a negative perspective, which is going to restrict demand on the market supply in the marketplace because they're concerned about this. As we can recall, a lot of people won't do their due diligence. They won't do their research. They'll just hear about this tax. Maybe they have to move on. Maybe they want to move on. Maybe they need to sell for whatever reason. And now you're telling them they just simply can't. So there's the, there's the supply consideration there. And that could be a major concern for people making decisions that maybe make sense for their family. They talk about the fact that there could be exemptions for folks who have, you know, financial considerations or job loss or things of that nature. And I think my biggest concern comes back to who's actually making decisions and who defines that this is okay. Because one ver one person's version of, hey, you know what, I, I can't afford this right now versus another person's is also really, really different. Where this also will be one of the biggest hits or one of the biggest considerations is, is obviously we know that the people under the gun here are typically speaking pre-sale flippers. And, you know, as a, a mortgage broker, I don't see a ton of this because, well, they don't get mortgages. So I don't really see a lot of these types of things. And we don't hear about them on a regular basis on our side, other, other than the odd bit here and there. And, and funny enough, in a lot of my circumstances where someone has decided to assign or sell, it's because they waited three or four years, the property went up in value and it no longer suits their lifestyle. So we don't really see a lot of this stuff. But if you look at it long term, there's a few things that you need to know more of a, a foundational base. Developers typically pre-sell their properties and, and they need investors. They want investors to come in because it helps them to get the financing required. You know, Normally speaking, a developer is looking for 60 to 65% of the actual entire development to be pre-sold if possible to get the bank's financing in order for them to go in and build the project and then they can sell the rest as it goes forward or sell it at completion or whatever is necessary. So if we have, if we are now discouraging investors, if we're saying investors, you're all bad. Well, first of all, I mean, we're eliminating the ability to, you know, capitalist type of world or free world. We're telling people what they can or cannot do with any market. We're of course suggesting that then, okay, you have to rent it out long-term, which Let's be honest, like a lot of people don't want to rent out a brand new property to some tenant who has all the rights in the world, specifically in BC. Not that everyone has a problem with that, but some and many do, especially if they didn't intend on either occupying or owning that or or they weren't sure in the first place and or because rates have gone up 4% since they bought the property. Now they have to or telling them they can't sell it even if they sell at their own loss. I mean, at the end of the day, this has so many different factors that could impact the marketplace. The biggest one for me is what does this actually do for supply? Because I'm of the mindset that the biggest problem facing Canadian real estate, specifically in British Columbia and in other parts of the country, is supply. And so if we're saying we're going to now take away the investors, because the investors are actually putting money into the marketplace, we're going to get rid of them. We're going to let go of these guys. 
And, and instead of doing that, we're, we're going to ta like tax them and we're going to use the taxes to build quote unquote affordable housing. So are you in fact taking away more and more and more opportunities for people to choose to invest in ways that they choose to do so and reducing the potential value and income, therefore reducing the amount of building and keeping prices high? Or are you just trying to turn us into a nation of renters? Don't really know. But at the end of the day, I don't see any any positive benefit for putting in a tax that's going to only really hit the uh, like a small percentage of the intended marketplace and have so many negative repercussions long over over the long haul. We're not house flippers. We're not a nation of house flippers. It might be in the U.S. because you see it on HGTV, like I said before. But again, I don't really come across a lot of that, and I'm not seeing it on a regular basis. So. You know, I just don't think that that's the problem. You know, if we're going to go into what some of the problems were, I mean, let's look at specifically what happened during the last three years. Money was cheap. Money was so excessively cheap. And they were giving, the government was giving away money like it was going out of style. Hence the inflation issues that we've been dealing with for a long time. And if you have people who are, who are borrowing money at no cost and able to utilize that to make money on it, why wouldn't they want to do that? They're not necessarily exploiting the marketplace and they're not all people that are coming here from China to do that but they are look they they found a loophole an opportunity notwithstanding you also have to keep in mind that not only does do you get taxed this quote unquote 20% or more the, the CRA also charges you uh taxes on top of that so you're going to get double whammied so really I think what this does and, and I think the biggest market that this will have an impact on in my personal and professional opinion is the pre-sale market is going to have a massive change. And there's no doubt that they're going to have to look at some other options as far as how they're going to get the financing. And it could it could absolutely kill small to medium-sized developers, therefore bringing in a lot more international or large-scale money or just limiting the options for people. But at the end of the day, that's just going to mean less supply again and again and again. So if the ultimate goal is to make housing more affordable, you can count this one as a, a miss on the mark and nothing more than trying to save face economically or politically speaking across the country. Holy cow. So that was a lot of information, but let's, I mean, let's just kind of go back to the core here. Property transfer tax exemptions, good. House flipping tax, not good. New home exemptions, good. What else are we looking at here going forward? Now, if you're listening to my podcast, you could be in real estate, you could be someone interested, or you could be interested in investing. A couple pieces of feedback from my perspective. If anything, this some of the changes in the budget are going to keep rental rates going up. So if you own a piece of real estate and you, for whatever reason, are going to rent it out, or maybe your tenant's moving out, I think you know this is positive news for you from that perspective, even though BC has some of the absolutely most restrictive tenancy laws in the entire country and honestly you know across the u.s i i think we're we're probably up there as you know considered very very strict but you know at the end of the day looking at the long-term effects ultimately if you restrict supply even more and you give more reasons for people to potentially rent you increase values and you ultimately increase rental values as well so the attendant effects at the end of the day are perhaps not what they were hoping for but we'll wait and see and I'd love to hear from you. So hit me up on the feedback channels at Flow Mortgage Co. or at the Mortgage Pug on Instagram. So I can definitely hear what your feedback is and what you think is going to happen. And we're going to definitely try to find some great guests on the show to talk a little bit more about this particular 
topic. Now, if you haven't done so already and you're a first-time buyer, make sure to check out our masterclass in helping you get into the real estate market, which is in our links in the show notes. And if you're a real estate investor, we have a fantastic tool. It's a property analysis for all of our active clients over at Flow Mortgage Co. We help our clients to take on this particular tool so they can have more success and along with our real estate investors guide. So if that's something you're interested, just make sure to go ahead and send an email over to info at getflowmortgage.ca to set up a consultation call. And we'll go ahead and send that your way after we have a chance to chat. If you're liking the show, please make sure to give us a great rating on Spotify or iTunes. If there's something you want to hear more of or less of, let us know. And of course, sharing is caring. We'd love to see you share this out with somebody else that you think might enjoy it. We'll see you on the next show. That was an unreal episode of The Flow. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did on my side right here. If you haven't already done so, make sure to check out all of the incredible resources that we have available. You can find us on Instagram at Flow Mortgage Co. You can find us on our website, getflowmortgage.ca. And of course, don't forget our free first time homebuyer masterclass that's currently available on our website for anyone who listens to the episodes. And if you loved what you listened here today, the only thing that we ask for is to share this with someone else that you think this could help. And hey, maybe leave us a great review online.